1: Found love, so don't fight it. Life is a roller coaster. You just gotta ride it. Anyway, we're here. It's a Browns podcast. I'm here with Ian Wright, Wright, Wright. We're a Browns fan. These things happen. It's a roller coaster.
0: Ian, how are you? It is not so much a good morning Cleveland, I tell you that much. It's more of a uh, wake up with various forms of hangovers from that game last night. What a dreadful game. Well, mate, it's
1: the first game I've missed probably in since 2016. The story is I went to get a couple hours sleep and then I just fell straight through it. So uh,
0: I woke uh, that up. Was a, that was a message from the gods to let you uh, sleep through that one. I, I think the team
1: up, did as well. I woke up with about like 25 messages, including from yourself. I felt like I missed a flight. That's what my brain was going through. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I missed it. And then the first thing I did was Google search I just want to see what the score was. And I was like, oh, no wonder all these text messages. But anyway, let's try and break it down and uh, let's go from there. My first topic for me is travel. Now, we saw the Raiders. We saw the Bears this week. The Raiders won. Do you think we should have gone out to uh, San Fran a bit earlier and climatized? You know, you
0: wonder that hindsight's always twenty-twenty. 20, 20 and Yeah, of the course. One I, the one thing I like to do is try to put yourself in a position where would you have made the same decision before as you would after you know, based on something. And after watching the game, one would say that they have to do something a little differently. I didn't hear any, you're not going to hear excuses from the locker room about, you know, lethargic, you know, bodies or anything like that. So it's tough to tell, but I think Freddie Kitchens is going to have to really listen to his team um, and find out. Now, the nice part is I don't think we go back out West this season. Everything is going to be pretty much within the Eastern or uh, central time zone. So we don't have to make that decision again this year. But for the most part, they just, they came out as flat as you possibly could be. And, you know, they held on as long as they could. And then it just went bad. I travel a lot
1: five hour uh, time differences and I'm okay with five. Going to the West Coast from London is eight hours and that just kills me. But traveling two hours is like norm. You just get used to it. But three hours, I don't travel three-hour time differences a lot because it's either East Europe, two hours, Russia, two hours, or New York, five hours.
0: But three hours, it's going to affect your body clock. So I've been from the East Coast of California a few times. And the one thing is, is when you get there, you either power through the first day and then go to bed at a normal time. So, you know, if they got in early on Sunday and you know they had meetings and stuff, and say they went to bed at 8, 9 o'clock, you can reset pretty quickly. It's honestly not that much different than two hours because now that I'm in Chicago, going out west, it's only two hours. But, for example, I went from central to eastern you know, yesterday, which is an hour, and here I am up at 6 a.m. doing a podcast. So yeah. I think everybody has the ability to adjust. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I just think that they need to find better ways than blaming time zone changes for that dreadful performance. So I've watched the 40 minutes, I've watched the highlights, and I've
1: watched the 40 minutes start again. I thought the start was quite lively, and then it all just suddenly
0: went off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, go back and listen to our preview, and we kind of told you what San Francisco was going to do. They were going to run the ball, they were going to pound it at you, and ultimately we said you want to get up early and you want to play with a lead. And the Browns decided that was the opposite of what they were going to do, it was literally the opposite. I mean, focus was not there. I mean, they just... Opening play of the game, we have a little razzle-dazzle. Congratulations to Jarvis Landry on his 500th reception on the, uh, for his career. And, you know, luckily enough, it came from his good friend Odell Beckham. Um, and I thought that was a good play. It really kind of set a, a good start to the, t- uh, to the game. And, you know, it took a nice big 20-yard chunk play. And then on the second play, slip screen to Beckham, drop. And you can just tell right there, the focus wasn't there. I mean, just too many mental mistakes. I mean, I think if you could summarize this game up between turnovers, untimely penalties and drops, that's the ball game right there.
1: Yeah. And I think from there, it just kind of went downhill. And then the, the killer moment, I think we all know this. I don't have to repeat it, but that, um, that miss or that drop from uh, Callaway or
0: that tip even from Callaway changed again yeah i was singing pinball wizard so the, the funny story about that game uh that play is i'm driving you know from chicago down to louisville i'm on 65 south i got the you know the game streaming for the first quarter so i get to my hotel and i check in during a timeout and i'm like oh it's just before half browns are in the red zone beautiful drive you know handing the ball off we're getting nick chubb up the left side 37 yards and screen pass. i walk into the hotel bar. And there's probably five or 10 guys there, and I got my Browns gear on. No guy looks at me and goes, Hey, they may score a touchdown. Very next play, pinball, Wizard Calloway tips the ball up and is intercepted. And the guy kind of just looks at me and goes, I think as Browns fans, we're a little all too familiar with how that works. And I was just like, Ah, oh. turning point of the game. At that point there, the defense was almost like a dam when it comes to the water. They were just holding back, just taking on water. I mean, even after the one play house call to start the game from San Francisco, you know the very next play, you know Baker has Callaway on the deep over. He underthrows it. Yes, I thought Callaway pretty much had no idea where the ball was at. I mean, I think he's got to go up and at least try to make a play on that. Um, but even then, the defense held them right away, and so you're still looking at only seven nothing. We come back again. Beckham misses, uh, or I'm sorry, Baker misses Beckham on the on the out route. Did Beckham get a hand on it? Yes. Have does he of all people have the ability to catch that? Yes, but pretty piss poor thrown ball to be honest. Um, but I mean, there was a play we missed, and then uh, we moved the ball a little bit better. And the one thing that drives me nuts sometimes about Baker is when he gets in that pocket and starts collapsing, he holds that ball out like a loaf of bread, and you know he's swinging it around, you know, for anybody, and all of a sudden DeForest Buckner comes in and punches it out and. Next thing you know, defense holds again. Missed field goal. So we're okay. Yeah, and the, there. Question
1: the question I wanted to ask you was do you think if we got that Callaway touchdown, we could have been in the game? Oh,
0: absolutely. It's 14 to 3 at that point. You just set a drive or a game setting drive. Or I shouldn't say that. You just had a tone setting drive. You go right down the field, utilizing one of your best players, and you have it first and goal at the seven, I believe. Now, the penalties are what when, when people come down to red zone efficiency, the Browns just have an innate ability to shotgun blast their leg in the red zone. Both times you're in the red zone. We had a procedural penalty, you know, either a false start or, you know, something along those lines that makes it instead of first and goal to seven, it's now first and goal to 12. And, you know, the Browns actually overcame that and had the ability to get in for a touchdown. I mean, if he catches the ball, he rolls in, It's 14 to 10, and instead it's a 14 point swing. And next thing you know, you're going to the locker room. Nick Bosa's planting flags. I don't know. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that later on, actually. Yeah. But yeah,
1: look, we lost. We've got to move on. And uh, I think the only highlight was uh, Austin kicked well, and Scottish Hammer had a great game.
0: So uh, yeah, they're the the positives. Have I missed any positives, Ian? My, I only have a few. Um, Scottish Hammer was unbelievable. I mean, seven punts, 56.7 on his average, four of them inside the 20. Um, and his long was 71. I know he got a little bit of roll, but, you know, for it, it's he has the ability when he hits a punt to, with that left foot to really make it move around. So it's almost like it has a little bit of a knuckleball effect. So, you know, those are planned. I mean, he's kicking those for a reason to do that. Really, his only bad play was one where he was backed up, and, I mean, he just booted one. I think it was damn near 60 yards in the air, and he outkicked the coverage, which we had a chance to make a play, Um, and I think they got a 32-yard return. So even his worst punt of the day was still a 26-yard net punt, which ultimately didn't really all that matter much because I think they missed the field goal.
1: Yeah, it's tough, but I think we all knew that ideally we were going to be coming into – the buy at three and three was quite realistic. So we are kind of still on course. 49ers did have that buy and we still got to play
0: the Steelers twice, the Bengals twice, the Dolphins. So, oh, there's, there's no doubt that there's, there's nothing crippling about this loss. I mean, honestly, the, the best part about it is, is it's probably more of a shot to the egos on the team losing on Monday night like that than anything, because they got a short week. I mean, I think probably one of the, the better things about this is you don't really have time to feel sorry for yourself because you got to jump back in Seattle's going to be well-rested. They're coming to first energy stadium. And at the end of the day, you know, if the Browns are sitting around that four and four point going into the back half of the season, they should be fine. I mean, the division's wide open. Um, But the only other good, by the way, I saw was Nick Chubb. I thought had an outstanding game um, for the limited carries he had, I think 16 carries for 87 yards. And I thought Jarvis Landry honestly played pretty well. Um, made some timely plays to kind of keep them in the game in the first half. And then I think the Browns even did have two sacks. So I'll give them that. They, 49ers had only given up two on the season. Miles Garrett got a sack. So that those are really the only highlights that I have. Everything else was negative marks. Yeah, we have a bit of luck with us with a few interceptions in that
1: game. We could have come away with a win, but obviously it looks really bleak. Uh, not getting a touchdown on the road. Yeah, not great. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield really quickly. How did you think he played? Do you think the media
0: are hyping that he played had a really bad game, or do you think it was a bad game? I think Baker's bad game was a result of bad execution. Um now this is by no way absolving Freddie Kitchens for really just being out coached by Kyle Shanahan. Baker, obviously or any quarterback is going to be the product of the people around them. And I know people hear coaches say that all the time and they they want to just pin it on one guy. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to block, you have to be able to catch. And when you have timely drops, when you have timely penalties, and when you have you know turnovers, it's going to look bad. I mean, Baker finishes 8-22, 100 yards and two picks. One of the picks, I'm not putting that Callaway I went on him. I mean, that's just an unlucky bounce. But the first one, he missed him. It wasn't his best game. He's He's regressed in the sense of the productivity he had last year. I obviously think he's still learning you know, we, we really kind of put a lot of stock in his early success. And, you know, at the end of the season, when he's thrown for 350 yards against the dolphins, are we going to, you know, anoint him back again? It's just one of those things. He's in his second year defenses have figured a few things out. Now he's got to do a a better job at adjusting to what they're going to do. He still has the arm. He still has the accuracy, you know, at this point, he's just maybe trying to take, he's trying to take on too much. And that's, that's the reason you're holding the ball out like a loaf of bread. You know, that's the reason that you're taking an intentional grounding right before half, which probably sent them into the locker room, you know, as high as they can be on positive momentum. So he's just got to do a little bit better of a job of kind of letting the game slow down and just going back to his fundamentals. Yeah, he doesn't seem that
1: natural in the pocket, does he? He does seem very worried, takes some steps back. He doesn't like to run forward that much also with the ball. So, uh, you know, there's, there's some times I think where he could just. Run forward, slide, and get a first down. And sometimes he comes back quite a distance, and then looks for the throw up the uh, up the line.
0: Yeah, he. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold on him being comfortable in that pocket. Um, I mean, Nick Bosa was Nick Bosa, and um, I want to say either DeForest Buckner. Um, or D.J. Jones on that side were just running basic stunts. And Regar Robinson and Joel Batonio were having a little bit of trouble. And a couple of times I think Batonio even tripped and fell over um, trying to move in space. And I think Baker knew the whole game what was coming behind him, and it never really allowed him to set his feet. He didn't really step into throws. Um, so overall, we saw it last week against Baltimore that when Baker's confident and he's delivering the ball on time, you know he still is very effective. But as of right now, the offensive line is just doing him no favors. And, you know, and a lot of that you, you have to put on John Dorsey. I mean, John Dorsey sent Kevin Zeitler out and said, okay, I want to bring in these other two guys, which at the time, I mean, we we're all saying it's a great move. And to be fair, you should be able to plug a play a right guard, but point Greg Robinson's struggling there on the left side. So they're going to have to do something. I mean, we've heard so much about 12 personnel, 22 personnel 11. at the end of the day. It's about execution. And you could tell that the Monday night football crew, you know, had tipped the Joe Test but Booger McFarland is just a really very tough listen. I've never heard so much people talk about formations and you know, what type of personnel we're gonna have. At the end of the day, if you have eleven personnel, execute. If you have twelve personnel, execute. I mean, we were sending tight ends over that way as well and it wasn't helping any much anymore because Farrell Brown was getting beat as well. Yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to be talking
1: about in my next podcast, is is the uh, tight end depth is a real concern for me. Um, But yeah, let's try and do this, Ian. Let's try and break down the rating, offense, defense, and special team. Offense, what are you going to give out of Ted? Three. What's he called? Breeder? The um, San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought
0: he um, did what I wanted Chubb to do in this game. So um, the, the difference being he was in more manageable situations. You know, if you look at it, a couple of drives that we s- sustained success are the uh, drives that we handed the ball off and that we pounded Nick Chubb. Um, you know, on our, on our field goal drive, we had a lot of Nick Chubb. On our should have been touchdown drive, we had a lot of Nick Chubb. I mean, he, the offense is Gonna to have to run through him. I thought that offensively, the game plan that Freddie had in San Francisco. Ian, what's your review? What's your view on the number one of the defense? I would say for the defense, I'm gonna give them a four. I think they started off better, then they just kind of fell apart when the game was out of hand. It was just, it was one of those things where, you know, we knew it was coming. We couldn't stop the run. I thought the linebackers had their worst game of the season. Um, and if you watch Breida's touchdown run, you'll see all the linebackers get washed to the left. One simple cutback, and it was a house call for Breida. We, You know, one of the things we talked about last week was, you know, we thought the linebacker I, – I, I specifically – I won't throw you in this. Uh, I thought the linebackers were good, not great. And, I mean, Schobert ends with 11 tackles. But, again, none of them are impact plays. You know, we needed somebody to step up and make a play and, you know, didn't get it. No turnovers forced, couple sacks. So, I give them a, a point higher than the off. Got you. Yeah. I, mate, I agree with that as well. Special teams? Special teams overall, I'll give them an, an eight. I thought, like I said, with the hammer having the day that he did, really kind of helping flip the field. As Jim Trestle says, the most important play in football is the punt. So I give them an eight. Seibert looked good. I mean, his field goal was a no doubt about it. I thought our kick coverage was pretty good um, for the, what, two times that we had that. The uh, the punt return overall was pretty decent they only i think returned two and one of them was the one that the guy broke for 32 yards so i'll take i'll take a point off for that but other than that i thought the specialists played pretty well what about um odell's pump return so the one thing about odell beckham is odell beckham wants to make plays but ball security has to be most important and you know if you're not going to tuck the ball away these guys in a game that it's Twenty-eight to three, I think. At that point, these guys are just swinging. They're they're stat padding, so it happens. I mean, that's just one of those things. When the dam breaks, the water's just going to go. So I don't really see that as being. I mean, Odell Beckham is a professional. I mean, I have no doubt that if I put Odell Beckham back there next game, you know, he's gonna. It's just him trying to do too much. I'm not that worried about that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I watched the uh, Nick uh, Bosa interview afterwards and you know everything in life has two sides and you got to remember uh, Baker put the flag you know upset Ohio fans upset Bosa and you know there is a grudge there and uh, I get what he did with the celebration and for me that's why I like competitive sport you know I, I love the rivalries um, but yeah Nick said some interesting things that he could actually see Baker panicking and he could see the fear in his eyes. What do you think about that, especially being a Ohio State fan?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm an Ohio State alumni, so I watched that game live. When The one thing that I I didn't really like about it at the time was the game was over and Ohio State had gone to the locker room when Baker planted that flag. So it was really kind of him doing it with no adversity. I mean, he kind of knew that nobody was going to come out and say anything. So I thought that was a little bit – classless on Baker's part. And he apologized afterwards. I know he wasn't sorry for it, but to think that those guys on that team didn't write that down and say, if I ever get another opportunity on him, I'm going to take it out on them. Of course. Um, I don't know if you, you probably don't follow some of these guys, but some of the former players at Ohio state even mentioned, you know, that that was a long time coming. It was just in a, it was at a point in the game. It was the end of the first half. And I know he gets the intention of grinding. It was a meaningless play. So I thought it was kind of odd for Nick to do it then. I mean, there's no doubt that Nick and Joey Bosa have an, an immense amount of talent, and you know Buckeye fans saw what they're able to do on and how much havoc they're able to wreck on a game. But hey, listen, the competitiveness when you're winning, you can brag. when you're losing, you gotta eat the crow, and Baker's got an entire full dish of uh, crow to eat on that one. The one thing you didn't watch the Baker press conference, I thought he was very humble
1: in his press conference. I know sometimes when he loses, he can be a little bit to the point. But, yeah, he knew he had a bad game. And I believe he's ready for the next game. I think he knows he's a quarterback in the NFL. It's obviously tougher than it is in college. And we all go. Fans, starting team, the front office, we all go against Seahawks and trying to get the 3-3 next uh, on Sunday. Only like four days away.
0: Yeah. It was one of those ones where I usually kind of take in as much as I can post game. you know, I'll listen and watch. And after that game, I just, to be honest, I just took a shot of Jameson, finished my beer and went right to bed. I had no interest in all the post game stuff. It was just one of those ones where they, they have, they need to lick their wounds. They need to get back on there. I mean, they, it's a short week for them, which like I said, I think may actually help. No time to feel sorry for yourself. Get back in the lab. Um, you know what is done is done. I think Freddie's going to have to really kind of take a look uh, in the mirror and say, "Okay, am I putting my guys in the best position to succeed?" You know, which leads me. What, what did you think overall of Freddie's performance? Um, for me, there was nothing shocking like the
1: four and nine. You know, for example, all oh, the Rams. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like crazy. You know, we, we're winning the toss and we're going for it every game. You know, I like the positivity. Um, I like the way that also Baker's trying to do everything he can. Odell's trying to do everything he can. But I think if you look at San Fran, and if you look at analogies in maybe soccer, just come in playing four four two, it's clean sheet, getting a goal, holding your defense. I think kind of sometimes we may need that at Browns where we just need to play it simple and get
0: the win. Yeah, I was uh, my buddy Seth and I were texting back and forth kind of during the game, and he was you know very disgruntled with uh, Freddie kitchens overall, not to the point where, you know, he's ready to bring out the pitchforks, but you know, the thing about it. And I think that the adjustments were really lacking. I think that they came out with a good idea, you know, on offense, but as that plan fell apart, we didn't really have a counter. You know, they were getting the, they were getting pressure with four and dropping seven. Like we, we knew they were going to do. And I think on the one play, they blitz, they got a sack. So, we just did not do a very good job of adjusting in-game to that. And I think that's where Freddie's really going to have to kind of look and say, okay, what could I have done to slow this down? Whether it was draw plays, counters, you know, utilizing the screen game. Um, we really needed to do something to neutralize that pass rush. I mean, the fact that you had to bring Garrett Gilbert into the game in the fourth quarter because Baker was taking too many hits tells you that the game plan needed to be better um, I thought defensively, you know, we knew what they were going to do. and We couldn't stop it. You know, they, they were going to run the ball. Our gap assignment was pretty bad. I mean, on the opening uh, play of theirs where Brito house called it, you know, we saw what happened. Um, so overall, I just think that they, they just got outplayed in every sense of the game and the coach has got to take some of that. I mean, you know, I'm not sitting here saying fire Freddie or whatever it is, or he's not the guy. I think that, you know, the moxie the guy has and his ability, and even in the post game, to say, hey, this is on me, blame me, the guys are not successful, um, is what I'm looking for. But at the end of the day, him, Monkin, and, and Steve Wilkes need to sit down and try to figure out what this team does best because, you know, that, that perception out there that the team lacks an identity, while I think it's kind of generic speak, and I think a lot of people use words like that to kind of generalize, the Browns don't know what they do good yet. I mean, we know that Nick Chubb can run the ball, but can we hold up against, you know, that pass rush? Or, you know, that may be one of the best defensive lines we face all year. So it could be just the, you know, an aberration. But Freddie's got to sit back. They got to really kind of look themselves in the mirror and figure out what it is we do good and develop a core to their offense that's going to help eliminate. Because even at the end of the day, the penalties are down. I think we had seven penalties, 55 yards. But they were just ill-timed. You know, we're in the red zone. We take a five-yard penalty. It, it just the penalties came at the worst time, which says that there's probably a little bit of um, lack of preparation with some of the players, especially Antonio Callaway, who I think just really struggled.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't like it when Freddie says, I let the team down. I wasn't prepared. I think saying that after the game's a bit like, come on, Freddie. You need to be
0: prepared, but my strategy was wrong. And I think it's basically him deflecting. I mean, obviously these guys put in, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks, he's prepared, but what he was, I think saying is, is like, I didn't have my guys prepared to play. You know, I think when it comes to like your red zone execution, you know, we get down the red zone, take penalties and just make it so much more difficult. He's going to say, Hey, that's on me, which is what coaches should do. It's kind of the opposite of, you know, some of the coaches we've had here in the past.
1: Well, at My next podcast, I want to talk about depth at tight end. I want to talk about defensive or defense. The D line is it is it as good as we all thought it was going to be in preseason? Wide receivers, you know, are they uh, are they firing on a hundred percent? And the last thing I want to discuss is the Hugh Jackson winning video. So a lot to discuss in the next podcast, and uh, I look forward to it. Life's a roller coaster, You know, we sport the Browns for a reason. We don't sport the Pats. These
0: things happen. We've still got a good chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, I think this has the potential to be one of those games maybe in a couple weeks where we take a step back and look and say this could have been, you know, really kind of a coming together. Because remember, after that game, they have to sit on a flight for near five hours going home. There's not going to be a lot of sleep. There's going to be just a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunities for the leaders in that locker room, the Jarvis Landrys to say, Hey guys, we, we have not arrived. We, we are good on paper, but man, we are terrible on the field. So, you know, I hope they really can regain focus, let the leaders kind of take over, manage the locker room and get us prepared because I think, Seattle coming across the pond this week on a long rested week is going to be a challenge and you know we got to be up to the challenge or else we're going to get embarrassed like we did so hopefully the shame embarrassment of losing on Monday night like that kind of motivates these guys to get back in their playbooks and uh just get ready for a game on Sunday because like you said I think we got five days before the game so all right and where can people find you if they're not following you Ian 19 on Twitter um Let's go back and forth with some dialogue. I'm curious, you know, if anybody saw things out there that they have more good than we did because, you know, while the sky is not falling, it was definitely a game for uh, a wake-up call for the team. So let's hope they treat it as such and, you know, get back on the practice field with a higher level of focus and, you know, finish the season strong. We have, let's see, like 11 games left. So, you know, good opportunity if we can finish the season Seven and four, eight and three on that level, then uh, we'll be alright and looking good for us in playoffs because the vision is still right for the pick. Go Browns. Go Browns.